This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And certainly you can hear, if your ears are working, that today we are suffering yet again from another another instance of where's Mark's voice. Um, we just don't know. I've added some new medicines to my regime in my fight against cancer, some of them to correct things that are are having issues with side effects, different medicines I'm taking are having side effects. Now I'm taking uh, more medicines to fight the side effects. And can anybody out there tell me why it is that every cancer-fighting you know, medication or something that's going to touch an area affected by my cancer-fighting medicine has hoarse voice as a, syndrome, as a side effect? It's all of them, Sam. They're just all... <laughs> It's bizarre. So, I, it is so You wouldn't weird. think those would be related, but... Well, they are. So at any rate, uh, today's going to be a little bit different. For one thing, I'm having trouble talking. And for another thing, uh, we're kind of running out of time here. As we're coming into the last two chapters of Galatians, uh, that's really not something that can be done easily in one week. So mm-hmm. Sam's basically going to do the teaching as if he was teaching by himself. I'll be here. I'm his audience of one. If there's something that that he asks that's not a rhetorical question, I'll attempt to ju- I will attempt to jump in. Uh, that kind of thing. But uh, I'm going to try to give my voice a rest this week. And Sam is basically just going to conclude our study, the Book of Galatians, uh, on his own. Although not really, I am here on the other end of the microphone. Um, so Sam, uh, where do we find ourselves when we come to chapter five? All right, so we're in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, and if you've been paying attention to the previous episodes or you've read the book of Galatians, Paul is basically driving home a single point here, and that it is it's it's salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone, and there's nothing you can add to it. So if, if you go back to the first chapters, Paul has – you know, again and again and again, driven home this point that your circumcision, all of your ways of keeping the ceremonial law make you no more worthy of God. They don't make you any more accepted by God. That Christ and Christ alone is the one who gives you your righteous standing before God. He is the one who's taken away all of your sins. It is him who has paid the price entirely And when you come to your relationship with God feeling as though you still have something to earn, it is enslaving you again. And so as you walk through Galatians, he's making all these points, you know, that that if if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And when we start chapter 5 here, he's going to make this point again when he says in verse 1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what does he mean there? It's saying, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And there's two ways that you can can fall into slavery. One is through... Uh, legalism, where you're, you're in slavery trying desperately to earn God's approval, and that's one way that you can be enslaved, right? And then the other way that you can be enslaved is thinking, you know what, like I'm going to search for my meaning and my purpose and my fulfillment and my satisfactions in all the things that I can run out and do on my own. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for satisfaction in the world and in money and in sex and in everything else. And in both cases – what you find is you're enslaved, right? You know, in one direction you're running saying, oh, I've got to keep all the rules. I've got to be good enough. I've got to be good enough. And before you know it, it you can't be. <laughs> you know, your, your human nature 
is naturally selfish. It's naturally prideful. You fall into sin no matter how hard you try. You're going to stumble. And then after a while, it feels like this is a losing cause. It's just slavery. I can't do it. And eventually, you begin to resent religion. And on the other extreme, if you're trying to find your freedom and doing whatever you want and chasing all the things in the world, what you find is all of that eventually begins to enslave you. And so where Christ is different is he comes and says, no, 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 you have absolute perfect acceptance from God without obeying all the rules. I've done it for you. And so be free from your compulsion to chase after the rules, but you're also free from chasing after trying to find satisfaction in everything in the world because Christ is now your satisfaction. The Spirit now dwells in you. And if you're living a life of faith, if you're really setting your heart and your mind and your eyes on Jesus, it satisfies all those temptations. And so here's Paul saying, man, like Christ has come to set you free from the bondage that you search for in other places, especially the law he's addressing here. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, which is kind of weird you know you would think if if you're if you're telling somebody that they have to stand firm you would think you're talking to the legalist because that takes a lot of effort to obey all the rules but here he's saying no 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 you got to stand firm in grace because your natural tendency is to want to say yeah but i got to do something i've got to prove myself i've got to earn my standing and he's saying that's the natural tendency of where you want to go but stand firm Know that your acceptance in God's sight is a gift that comes to you freely. Walk in the freedom and don't be enslaved again. Avoid it. Dig in. Do not let grace be taken away from you. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so it's kind of counterintuitive that Paul is having to say, hey, stand firm. You don't have to earn it. <laughs> you know, like it's it's – You'd think you have to really work yourself to say, I've got to earn it. But he's saying it's every bit as hard to really stick and hold firm to grace. Well, and it's also, I said I wasn't going to talk, and now he listened to me talk. But yeah, it's a, it also, I knew it was going to be <laughs> you knew it was going to happen. impossible. Well, it also comes to, um, you know, the, the Judaizers and some of these people that were trying to lead them astray, the zealots. Uh, are telling them, we're just talking about circumcision and dietary laws, easy stuff, mm -hmm. stuff you can do easily. And yet the effect of these easy things, get circumcised, which, sorry, if I'm circumcised as an adult, that's not easy. But, <laughs> you know, so, right. so they, so the bottom line is that if they follow along with the circumcision and the dietary laws, the, the, effect of that is gigantic. The effect of that is mm -hmm. that the death of Christ was of no value to them, and mm -hmm. they are now subject to the entire law. It's not just get circumcised mm -hmm. and keep the dietary laws. That's They're, they're misleading them. They're lying to them. Mm -hmm. This is going to, in terms of where their standing is with God the Father, it's going to be it's up to you now to keep the whole law because Christ is of no more use to you. Mm -hmm. That's to me. And that nobody's saying that to them. Well, Paul is. And, and, and that's the temptation. You know, I remember way back in the day when I was a student at a seminary and they required us to take evangelism explosion and learn how to share your faith. I got to go on a an evangelism call with Dr. Kennedy, who was the pastor of the church, and he came across somebody who was a Christian, but they went down the road of saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, they would identify as Christian. I believe in Jesus, but I feel like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not earning it. I'm not good enough. I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven because, you know what, like I know I'm supposed to do these things, but I'm failing at it. And he gave this illustration that reminds me of this passage. He says, you know, if you were to consider the the gulf that separates you from God as this great chasm, you know, this great canyon, and on one side of that canyon, you're up on, on, on a mountaintop over here, and God is on a mountaintop over here, Christ, the gospel says that Christ is the bridge that gets you from this 
place of sin across this chasm over to God. And he, this is what he said. He said, now Christ is like this steel, unbreakable bridge that connects you to God. He fills the whole chasm. He reunites you with God. He has made a way despite the fact that there's this chasm between you and God. And what you're saying is you're good with Jesus, you know, going 99.9% of the way with his steel bridge. And for the last foot, you want to tie your dental floss. And yeah. he said, you know, if, if you try to tie your dental floss to the steel bridge, it's going to snap. But it's not going to be the steel bridge that failed. It's going to be your stupid piece of dental floss. So don't try to add anything to the salvation that has been fully provided to you. And and what Paul is saying is, yeah, they're coming to you saying, hey, you know, just accept circumcision. That's all we're asking of. And Paul is saying if you do that, then you're trusting in yourself, not Christ, and you've made Christ of no advantage to you. And that's scary. And a little bit later on, Paul will offer up something that is probably as stark of a this is what I would this is what I wish would happen to you guys that I <laughs> that I that I've heard him say in scripture. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that's that's a great line. That's like, whoa <laughs> is this guy an apostle? Yeah. Yeah, um, so he, he goes on in verse 2, kind of what we just talked about. He said, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you try to add to your salvation by saying, you know, Jesus isn't enough, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision and what he's talking about here, circumcision as as a means of becoming acceptable to God. He's not saying circumcised people are condemned or anything. He's saying if you do it to earn standing before God. I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Like you said, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And what's what's interesting, you know, our our modern culture that phrase "you have fallen away from grace," we we take it in the modern vernacular. It's it's treating it like you know, oh, that person has fallen into sin. They've made mistakes. They've fallen from grace, and that's the exact opposite of what Paul's getting at here. <laughs> you know, like. When you're sinning and you're recognizing that you're sinning, like the Christian falls into grace. Like you, when you're sinning, that's when you need the grace. And we've even taken this expression and made it into a moralistic thing. Like if you're sinning, you've fallen from grace. That's not what Paul means here. He's saying if you get to a point where you don't feel like you need forgiveness because you're justifying yourself through the law, that. When you're a legalist, that's when you've fallen away from grace. Right. Now, yes. I, re I remember being at a, um, a Schools United meeting and they had a guest speaker and he said something that I thought was – at first I heard it and I was like, uh, do I agree with what he just said? But he said, um, the greatest Christian leaders are not those who sin the least but those who repent the most. And when he said that at first, I was like, wait a minute, do, do I agree with that? <laughs> and the more you think about it, that's true. It's the people who recognize that they are in the constant need of the grace and mercy of the Savior. It's not those that are that – are yeah, you don't want to sin. Of course you want to live a life of holiness and righteousness. But it's people who are constantly recognizing their need of grace and their need of mercy, walking with that kind of humility – that end up being the most righteous leaders. And so in verse 5, Paul goes on, he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And man, this is so rich here. So what Paul is saying is your works don't matter, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, like in the courts of heaven, that doesn't count for anything. The only thing that gives you what he says, you know, you're waiting for the hope of righteousness. The only way you get there is faith working through love. And that 
is powerful. It's not about, oh my gosh, I got to come up with a checklist and I've got to do all these things and I've got to make sure that I'm following the roadmap of righteousness by my own strength. No, what Paul is saying here is it's faith. It's looking at Christ, knowing what he's done for you. And that word faith isn't just like a mental assent where you go, yes, I believe that's true. It's I'm trusting my whole life in the completed work of Jesus. That is what this faith is. I'm trusting in him. And because I see the amazing love that he has for me, now I want that kind of love to pour through me to other people. And that only happens when the spirit is operating through our trust and the spirit comes and animates all of these things that happen inside of us when we give our lives and surrender our lives over to Jesus. And that's when we become more and more like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and it gets to the point where you, you know, we say things like that and people that are, uh, that aren't really used to hearing those phrases will say, well, that doesn't sound like any fun. I'm supposed to give my life over and I'm supposed to, you know, uh, invest myself in other people discovering <laughs> this, uh, this truth. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, then look at it this way. You have a choice that you can make uh, as to where your eternal destination is going to be, mm-hmm. where you are going to spend the rest of eternity. You can either, as we've already read, go through this book, inherit everything. Be, you know, you, you're going to inherit all of the spiritual blessings. You're going to inherit all of the things that God has prepared in the new heavens and the new earth. All of these things will be yours. You're going to have an indescribably wonderful future. Or you can spend the rest of your time, your entire future, in an area where it talks about the flame never dying, uh, that that it's it's punishment and, and basically torture forever. And if I had a choice between those two things, I, I wouldn't think that it was a whole lot, you know. And somebody's like, well, so that if I become a Christian and I don't do this where I tell other people about it and get other people into the kingdom, that I'm going to be in, in, in hell because I didn't do enough. I don't understand you, Mark. And so let me say it clearly. It is by grace through faith that you're saved. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all. It's the only way. But if you think, if you believe, if from something Sam and I have said to you, you believe that we're saying that you can have this life-changing rebirth spiritually and not have it affect you, mm-hmm. that's where your breakdown is occurring. That's where you're not understanding what we're saying. What we're saying is that when you have this life-changing process that goes through you, you will become a different person. And if mm-hmm. you never become a different person, then I would say it's fair to ask whether you actually underwent that transformation. Yeah, for sure. If, if We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, in fact, in, in a sermon that I just preached, that you become what you behold. Like what you find to be the most beautiful, amazing thing in your life will dictate what you live for. It's like, you know, kids that watch action hero movies, the moment the movie's done, they are pretending to be the action hero because they think they're awesome. You know, they're, they're, they're putting on the cape and being Superman. We've said that before. So if Christ has become the ultimate in your life, if you're surrendering to him, your life will not be able to help but become like him. And that's not because you're going, oh, I got to work hard to be like Jesus. No, it's because you see how awesome he is and you can't help but become like him as the spirit is animating you from within. As you see how loving he is and that becomes the ultimate beauty and you want to be like him. You see his peace, you see his joy, you see his kindness and you're like that life is far better than what I have. I want to be more like him because he's a Amazing. Look what he's done for me. Look at the mercy he's given me. Look at the forgiveness he's given me and the love that he's given me. I want to do that for other people. I can't help but do it for other people because of what I've received. And it's not just like when we talk about the Christian life, it's not just 
for the afterlife, you know, when you when you compare heaven and hell, that that's a pretty stark reality sure. that you've got to wrestle with. But the reality is if you try to do this life living in this world without Christ, you will end up feeling enslaved. And, you know, I've said before, you know, I'm somebody who relates to addicts because I've had addictions in my life that I've had to overcome. And life itself, listen to this, life itself works like an addiction. What do you mean by that, Sam? Well, with an addiction, the first time you try something, the first time you try a drug, it gives you this great high. It's really fun. It numbs all the bad parts of your life. It's it's exhilarating. You love it. It's amazing. You want more of it. And you go back and you do the same thing again. And this time, you know, it was nice, but the payoff wasn't the same. You, you're growing a tolerance to it. And before you know it, it's not giving you any joy you're having to do more and more, slave away, work harder and harder to chase after it, and eventually you don't even get a high anymore. But if you don't pursue it, you'll become sick as a dog. And you think about, you know, it's not just drugs. I mean, think about people who slave away chasing after money. The first deal they make is wonderful, and they want another hit. But the next time they get it, yeah, it's okay. But before you know it, they're slaving away and they're trapped to it, and it's not giving them the rush. It's not giving them the joy. That's true of everything. It's it's money. It's sex. It's power. It's your career. Before you know it, what used to exhilarate you, what used to bring you joy, no longer brings you that level of joy, and you're left going, I need more. I need more. I need more. And you can never, ever get enough. You're never satisfied from it. And that's everything in this world. It's like, you know it. If you're listening to me, you know the human experience. That's your reality. And if it's not yet, it will be. Like, it's something that humanity has been struggling with for as long as humanity has been able to communicate. They've been talking about this. And so the question becomes, okay, you've got this infinitely growing appetite for anything that you try. You want more and more and more and more, but eventually it can't satisfy and you just find yourself slaving away. And what you're, what you're finding in yourself is you have an appetite that grows infinitely that can only be satisfied by something infinite. Hint, hint. And so when you come to Christ in this life, you find satisfaction, but as you grow in him, as you learn more about him, as you experience him, guess what? His attributes are infinite. You'll never exhaust his love. You'll never run out of amazement at just how patient he is and faithful he is. As far as your appetites can take you, he's capable of satisfying them. And I, you know, I joked about this in my sermon two weeks ago, but I can't tell you the number of people I've counseled who've come into my office and their lives are in shambles because they have chased a career at the expense of all else. And they're thinking, help me. I've given too much of my life to my career. Help me. I've given too much of my life to even children that where relationships get unhealthy or I've given too much of my life to money or whatever. And people come and they're used up. I have yet ever to have someone come into my office and say, Sam, I've given too much of myself to Jesus, and now I'm just miserable. Yeah. Never. It never happens. Like, okay, we'll learn from that. If Jesus satisfies those who chase after him with earnest sincerity, learn from them. Look at yeah. them and say, man, they have joy. They have peace. They have the fruit of the Spirit. They they fulfill, feel fulfilled in life. Their life is fruitful. Maybe I should try that. Because the alternative is slavery in every direction. Well, and it's a kind of uh, it's it's a kind of giving that is antithetical to how we usually look at giving. Um, let's say that that you know Mark wins the lottery, and I've got five hundred million dollars in my bank account. All of a sudden, if I wanted to share some of that with Sam, I nothing was stopping me. But whatever money I give to Sam, however much he enjoyed it, would be that much less money than I have. That's just the way it works. If I give something mm -hmm. away, I no longer have it. But that's not how this works. That's mm -hmm. not how this works. You know, Jesus says, all of the grace that you have found, all of that grace is available to other people also. And mm -hmm. you don't give up any of the grace you have. So you have the opportunity to... Share with them the grace and the forgiveness that you have found, the mm -hmm. and, and 
their, their faith could build, and it has nothing to do with your faith or, or the amount of grace towards you. In fact, not only does it not take away, Mark, it multiplies. Yeah. You know, when, 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 when I love you, I walk away from that feeling better, and so do you. We both grow. Right. Right. Which is not the true, or not the same case anyways, with earthly love. Because love in this world costs you something. Uh, you know, I look every day at what my wife has done for me in walking this road of cancer. And there's not a word I could tell you. There's no expression I have that could tell you how much she has done for me, how selflessly she has given things up for me. Uh, it was just her birthday yesterday. I couldn't take her anywhere. I bought her a gift off Amazon. How romantic. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm bed-bound or chair-bound or wheelchair-bound or whatever. And she just gives all that up. It costs her something to love me. And it's that way. And it's not everybody. It's not cancer. But there's going to be something that your wife or your friends or whomever as they love you and show you that love in demonstrable ways, that costs them something. This is the only kind of, of, of love that you give away that not only does it cost you anything, but like you said, Sam, it, it, it multiplies the love that you have. Because mm-hmm. when you see what God does in the lives of the people that you minister to, that you share with, it is going to bring you joy. And and that's one of the things that is so helpful about having the the Christian perspective when it comes to love is, you know, Tracy's love for you through all this has been heroic, like amazing. But you take like even the ordinary types of, of marriage moments, like between me and Laura, where I'm being annoying, you know, or which never happens, of course. Um, but you you look at when she doesn't – when I'm not likable, you know, and there's those moments where it's like, you know, I love you, but I don't like you at this moment, you know, which which are rare, but they happen. It's, it's the Christian perspective that says, you know what, I'm going to love my wife or I'm going to love my husband as an act of worship to God in this moment. It's not easy. It's, it's maybe not enjoyable in that moment. But that's when Paul talks about faith working through love. You know, your faith has consequences. You know, Jesus looks at us and says, when you take care of the least of these, you're taking care of me. You're loving me. And so now everything takes on an eternally significant spiritual tone to where, you know what? I don't want to love that person right now because they've annoyed me. They've done me wrong. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to give purpose to that, that when you show love to them, it's an act of worship to me. It compounds your love. It gives purpose to everything, even when you don't want to, because the world's way, like you said, the world's way of viewing love is, I will love you so long as I get something out of it. But if I've got to be selfless to where it costs me something, you know, like Tracy's walking through right now, you know, it's it's pouring out. You know, and she she loves you to the core and is happy to do it, but it's also an act of worship to God, you know, who has given you as a gift to her. And she is not just loving you, but she's loving the Lord by loving you. It 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 makes your life so much more meaningful in what you do because everything brings in a component of worship to it. It makes everything significant and meaningful. Yes, it does. I, I sit here talking less. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so verse like seven. Scratching at me here. Yeah, I'll try. Usually, I don't have a problem talking more, but I'm trained to stop <laughs> every once in a while. Right. All right. So, verse seven, he says, "You were running well," and so he's mentioned this a couple of times. Like you got it out of the gates. You were doing so well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth of the gospel? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Like, this this isn't coming from Jesus. And he says, a little leaven 
leavens the whole lump. And so what does that mean? Well, back in the days when you would make bread, it would just take the tiniest little bit of yeast added to the lump of dough, and that yeast would work its way through the whole lump of dough so that all the bread rose. It corrupted, in some sense, the entire loaf of bread. And what he's saying is you've taken just this tiniest bit of legalism into, you know, it's like they're, they're, they're saying to you, you just need to be circumcised, just a little lump of leaven. And now it's corrupted your whole system and your whole view of God. Like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? Is that case the offense? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And this is where your line comes up. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And in a sense, what he's saying is, you know, they make a big deal of the, you having to foreskin. Well, I'm telling you, I wish they'd go go ahead and chop the whole thing off. And it's a <laughs> it's very crude when you're reading the Bible and you hear one of the apostles say something like, that. but it shows the forcefulness uh, with which he's speaking. It's like I wish they would cut themselves off. Is kind of the the meaning a, of that. You know, it's an effective way of letting him know that of letting them know that. He's not uh, happy with them. <laughs> Understatement of the day. Um, but like what, what he's getting at. Let, let the shaky handed among you conduct all your circumcisions. That's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. But, like, anyway, I'm, I'm thinking all kinds of inappropriate things that would have to get edited out anyway. So uh, I'll, I'll hold my tongue here. But in these verses where he, Paul is saying like, uh, you know, you're you're so focused on circumcision when he says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. You know, in a sense, what he's doing, it's a play on words here where they're like, oh, we have to cut off the flesh. That's the sign that we're a covenant people of God. It's our labors and what we do that make us worthy of God. And Paul is saying, if you fall into that, it's not the flesh that you're removing only. It's the the offense, the the power of the cross that you're removing. It's like you're circumcising the power of the cross off of your life when you do this. If you think you can do it by your labors, you've made the cross meaningless, and you may as well have circumcised the power of the cross off of your life. And it's like, whoa. And so when he says, I wish those who unsettle you and draw you toward legalism, man, I wish they would just be cut off. I wish they'd emasculate themselves. Um, Very strong language. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, oh, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And so, what Paul is saying is is kind of what you said earlier, where if you find yourself saying, hey, I belong to Christ, and yet your life is filled with backbiting and, and you know, nastiness, and you're tearing each other down, well, what has Christ done for you? You know, how is the Spirit moving in you? Because if, if you would do that to your – even your enemies, then you have not allowed – what Christ has done for you to thoroughly saturate who you are. Um, because think about what Christ did for you. You know, you were, you were his enemy. You were warring for his throne. You were taking a life that, by the way, does not belong to you and living it however you want and making a mess of God's world and harming relationships and, and doing all of these things that are contrary to his design. You were at war with his design for the world. And even as you were a rebel against his kingdom, Jesus came into this world and pursued you, and we put him on a cross, and he died for us so that we could be redeemed and purchased and brought into the kingdom of God. He has shown such radical mercy for us that if his mercy doesn't move us, then we have not received his mercy. Um, there was a great line from a Puritan who says, before you see the cross as something done for you, you have to see the cross as something done by you. The measure of Christ's love 
to pour himself out for you should totally animate everything that you are and believe. You know, Jesus says not just love your neighbor as yourself, but when he's washing the disciples' feet in John 13, he says, a new command I give to you to love others as I have loved you. And that calls us to another level. We love because he loved. And uh, if we're if we live and we treat the gospel as though it's cheap grace, you know, eh, whatever. You know, Jesus paid for my sins, so I'm going to live however I want to live. We probably have never really understood the gospel. Grace is not cheap. It cost the life of God Almighty. And that's something that we should come to with reverence. We need to receive that gift as something that's incredibly precious because it is. It's not something that we're like, eh, Jesus is going to pay for my sins, so I'm just going to give myself to anything and everything. That's not the gospel. The gospel says God loves you so much that he would pay any price. But why does he pay that price for you? Because he so hates the sway and the power that sin and death have over you. He died to free you from that stuff. And so we receive the gift of grace. We receive his gift of righteousness. And yet we recognize that sin is what crucified him. And if we love him, we should hate sin. And we should give our lives by faith to allow the spirit to animate all of the ways that Christ is so that we turn away from it uh, by the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. If I put you to sleep? No. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> although, although I had the microphone a few inches from my face because I've started coughing. So. I gotcha. Yeah, there's this a great analogy that comes up w- with this where um, – the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I heard somebody use this as a sermon illustration years ago, and it stuck with me. Um, but the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is, you know, here's a guy who wanted to come up with a potion to where he could essentially, I mean, what it boils down to is he wanted to get his sin nature and separate it from his, you know, nature that wanted to do good. And so he comes up with this potion, and when he would drink it, all of his sin nature would be diverted into Mr. Hyde so that Dr. Jekyll could then become a good man. And the reason why he wanted that is because neither one of them could really enjoy themselves. So when he was trying to be good, the sin nature in him would always corrupt him and he would be guilty, you know, like, I'm never going to be good enough. I can never get rid of the sin. And yet when he wanted to live out his sin and be like, woohoo, I'm doing whatever I want, he could never enjoy it because his conscience would always be saying you shouldn't be doing this. And so the moralist can never enjoy himself because he has a sin nature and the sinner inside of us can never enjoy himself because there's a conscience and you know what's going on. And religion usually says, okay, you've got to fight. You got to fight Mr. Hyde so that Dr. Jekyll can survive. You know, the, the moralist in you, he needs to survive. And so you've got to kill Mr. Hyde. And the gospel comes and gives this radical message that not only does Mr. Hyde have to die, Dr. Jekyll does too. Your compulsion to want to prove yourself and to be good enough is every bit as hostile to the gospel as Mr. Hyde is. And both characters need to die so that you can embrace what Jesus alone can do for you. Um, But that's the kind of freedom he's calling you to is one that's totally wrapped up in him, not moralism and not, you know, chasing your sin. Uh, Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Don't do it in your efforts. Don't be Dr. Jekyll. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. It's like you sense this in yourself. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so what he's saying is there's this battle inside of you, one that is is bought by the cross. It's it's grace given. It's the spirit that's in you that's saying, oh my goodness, God loves me so much. And therefore, because of everything I've received freely from him, 
I want to give my life to him. Now, that's a spirit compulsion. The flesh, on the other hand, is I'm going to do things my way for my gratification. I'm going to prove myself in my own strength, and those are at war with one another. And so in verse 18, Paul says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. He's like, you want to know what it looks like when your life is given over to the flesh and you're doing things just to to satisfy yourself? Here it is, sexual immorality. Take a moment and think about these in your life. So these are diagnostics. Is the flesh running your life? Do you have sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife? Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So what you notice in, in, as he's laying all those out, all of those are entirely self-absorbed and a crazy amount of them are about – uh, relational conflict. I mean, think about uh, some of these are almost synonymous. It's, you know, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. They're almost like, Paul, that's the same word. Just say one word and get on with it. But he's harping here. He's wants you to see if you want to know if you're fighting the flesh. Well, sexual immorality, that's an obvious one. You know, you're using another person to gratify your flesh. Impurity is obvious. Sensuality is obvious. Idolatry, you're giving your heart to lesser things. You're worshiping things that are not God. But all of this, when you get into the divisiveness, Paul is hitting on that really hard because there's something in the flesh that always needs to be right. And we've said on this this show a million times that the core virtue of Christianity, you know, if pride is the gateway to the flesh, humility is the gateway of godliness. Human selflessness leads to love and the fruit of the spirit and, you know, Jesus ultimately is the incredible picture of humility, God becoming a man and a servant and all that. And yet what he's saying is if you want to know the flesh, it's saying I have to be right. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. If you find yourself caught up with lots of those going on, you're consumed by the flesh. And man, we see a lot of that in our culture now. Envy, drunkenness, orgies. And listen to what he says. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If, if those are the defining things of your life, you're deceived into thinking you're a Christian because the spirit will be at war against those things. You will not settle in those things without a fight. That's not to say if you ever envy somebody, well, then clearly you're not a Christian. No, it's when you, you're given over to these things. These are things that define your very identity. You're not in the kingdom. You will not inherit the kingdom of God because you don't know the power of the Spirit. The Spirit's not showing up in your life, and therefore Christ has not brought you to life yet. Would you agree with that? I would. Okay. When we're talking about the law, you have to do everything. You have to compete everything perfectly. Well, no, I can't do that. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) If we're talking about living in the Spirit, what we have to do is we have to do what it takes to— Walk in the spirit, not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, just all these things that you were talking about. How much do we have to do? Some, you know. If you never mm-hmm. touch it, if it never, if if you never feel the drive to do it, then I I think we need to talk about whether your faith is genuine or not. But if if in fact there is something in you that motivates you to that. That strongly mm-hmm. drives you to that, that that's what you can take comfort in, that that's not human nature. That's not the way we normally think. And mm-hmm. so if, if I'm doing that, then God is in a way reassuring me that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that the verse that came earlier in 17, it says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And so what what you're saying, and I think it's spot on, is if you feel a battle inside of yourself to resist these things, 
it is evidence that the spirit is not giving you over, that the spirit is in you. But if you are living a life where you are content in these behaviors and there's no battle in you, you know, there's no spirit in you that says, no, 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 you're a child of God. Let go of this particular sin. There's no, there's no compulsion to repentance. There's no battle in you. Then you have to wonder, is the spirit at work in you? And that's where the good news is. You know what the solution is? Run to Jesus. Yeah. Because Jesus' mercy is available to you. And, and plead with him, Lord, give me the power of the spirit that I could crucify all of these desires of the flesh, which we all battle against. There's nobody who's mastered these on this side of glory. Right. But there is a battle. Yes. Um, and so you want to make sure that that battle is going on within you. And then so, – so from there, he switches and he says, okay, that's the stuff that the flesh gives. But if you want to know what does the spirit produce in you, when the spirit's at work in you, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Like, <laughs> there's nowhere in the Bible where you're like, all right, I've had enough of that kindness. <laughs> you know, that's, that's too much, too much. Like, there's no, there's no limit to this. If, and the, so, in other words, have as much of it as you could possibly have. Enjoy it. So the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so that's where he ends chapter 5. And and the idea is like, hey, uh, love. Be joyful. Enjoy all of these things that, that God has given you because in the spirit, when you behold who Jesus is and you see his level of love, it can't help but manifest itself in your life. There's joy that comes with that, like authentic joy that's not contingent upon your circumstances or your performance. Dude, you have been embraced by God Almighty. God Almighty looks at you and says, you're worth a Life of his son that he sings over you. Like, what is there not to be joyful about when you take a moment and step back and consider what he's done? Like, that should produce great joy in you and peace through any circumstance. Like, that's something that you're having to walk through with, like, tremendous, like, real life and death matters and and trying to hide yourself and find refuge in him because, man, the circumstances are all shaky. They're all falling apart. You you don't know what tomorrow holds, and yet there's one thing you can have confidence in, and that's the character of God. So you, you cling to him for peace, patience, kindness because he's so kind, goodness because he's so good, faithfulness because he doesn't break his promises, and he's – steadfast, you can cling to him. And so you want to be that for other people. It's all reflections of who he is. And the more you behold and the more you see him as he is, man, the the more you get to know him, it's like the more bones you have to the spirit can then come and animate and bring Jesus to life in you. Because all of these things are the hallmark traits of who our God is. Um, and with abundance, and he wants to share them with us. And there's no limit to how much he'll give you if you'll just grab them. So we wanted to go through the first 10 verses of chapter 6, uh, just because there's, you know, when Paul starts wrapping down his letters, he starts coming rapid fire. You know, he said kind of the meat of what he wants to communicate in the letter, and now he starts coming with the, here's what you do about it, <laughs> you know, a lot more of that. And, and nugget forms, but he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, those of you who are led by the Spirit, animated by the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. You don't come and burn someone's eyebrows off with a scorching wrath. You receive them with gentleness and humility and a recognition that you're weak too, right? One of the greatest things that you can do for somebody who's caught in the shame of sin is to come alongside of them and say, me too, or I've been there with you, and allow them 
to feel like they've got a friend in the fight. They're not alone in their shame. Like we've all been there. And so that should create in us this spirit of gentleness that's always eager to restore those who've stumbled, not to sit and point, not to get on your text message thread and tell everybody about what they did and to tear them down further and bring them shame. That's that's works of the flesh. The The spirit brings gentleness that recognizes, oh, man, I've been there and Christ was kind to me, so I'm going to be kind to them. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, it's, it's what he's saying. Like, you could be there too. So you'd, you'd better keep watch on yourself, not to gloat, not to drive this person further into shame, because you too might fall. He says, bear one another's burdens. That's such a hallmark of the Christian faith. Like, lifting other people up when they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, holding, lifting up their arms, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember what that was? Love your neighbor. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If you walk around puffing yourself up thinking that you're better than everybody else, you're just you're deceiving yourself. Yeah. But let let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. <laughs> so, like, take an honest measurement of yourself. You don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. You have a responsibility to God. You pay attention to what you're doing. Just stop putting your eyes on everyone else. You know, I had, was having a conversation with my daughter. Total side note, just jumped in my head, but she's she's in third grade and she's going through her times tables. <laughs> <laughs> and and she got halfway done, and I was like, "How come you only got halfway done? You know your time, you, you know the particular number that she was on. You know these cold. We've been doing them at home." And she's like, "Well, I I started looking around me, and everyone else was going so much faster than me that I got really scared and I felt stupid, and so then I couldn't focus on my own work." And why was that? It's because she was looking around at where everyone else was, and she got paralyzed to do what she was capable of. And human nature is just like that. But what is what is Paul saying? Like, pay, focus on yourself. Stop judging yourself by looking at everyone else. Like, you've got – you answer for yourself before God. So be merciful to others and don't measure yourself by other people. For each will have – to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For who, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own. Now, that's something that sounds very works-oriented, but he's going to make the distinction, right? Because you think, wait, whatever he sows, he reaps. It's like you got to work to get the reward. But listen to how he makes the distinction. He says, for the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And so what he's saying is whatever you do by the flesh, you're going to reap just corruption. It's not going to go well. Whatever you do in your own strength, it comes back rotten. But the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And where does the power of the Spirit come? It comes by grace. It's a gift. And so when he's using these terms of your labors, he's saying, sow in the spirit, trust in the gift that you're given. And from there, you're going to reap an eternal harvest. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So in a world where you're you're looking forward and your your hope is in a world to come and heaven to come and you're you're laboring and not always do you see you know the reward right in front of you you can teach you know i felt this when i was a teacher you know sometimes you labor and labor and labor and give yourself and you don't see change don't give up don't give up for in due season by god's timing he is going to bring the harvest according to his timetable and his desires. So don't give up. Trust him with the results. Keep laboring for good, knowing that he's sovereign over all of it. So then, he says in verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Um, and so makes, that's, that makes a really good bookend with those first, uh, with that first verse. Where it mm -hmm. says that, where, and I know you talked about this then, but I'm, 
I wanted to point out how the two of them fit together. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then as we come Hmm. down here, we say, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's a great bookend. Mm Mm-hmm. I was talking about this actually during lunch today with our director of finance, and we were talking about, you know, should the church be a people that gather together and kind of huddle together, or we should we be people who are who are out, you know, in the world doing good and we're outside the walls? And, you know, the conversation led us to the conclusion that you have to be a set-apart people first. And it's because you're set apart. It's because you find your family in the household of faith and you you lift each other's arms and you build each other up. That is what should empower us then as we encourage each other in the faith to then launch out and to do good to everyone. And Paul here is he makes no distinction that you have to pick one or the other. He's saying, no, no, no. Your, your first loyalties as a Christian is to the body of Christ. It's where you're nourished. It's where you support each other. Primarily, it's where you build each other up in the Lord. But why? You know, you're doing that so that you can be a blessing to the nations, so that you can go out and do good to everyone. And so, you know, the monastic life, <laughs> you know, Paul's writing that out. He's, you know, you do good to everyone. You go out and you, you serve the world. You're light to the world. And yet, you have a primary obligation to the household of faith. Um, it's where you're going to be encouraged. It's where your brothers and sisters are. It's the body of Christ, and you need both. And so you love the world, but you're built up in the household of faith. Um, you know, this, is, this has been the message that has been on my heart as we kind of wrap up what we're going to do with Galatians. You know, there's, there's such an emphasis that everything that you need is provided for you in Christ. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It is entirely the gift of God given to you by grace, through faith, in Christ. And, you know, the older I get, the more I really have come to believe that if I want to become more like Christ, if I want to grow in holiness, if I want to grow in righteousness, you know, when I just sit down and I say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to muster up the strength, it almost always feels like slavery. But when I say, you know what, I just want to draw near to the Savior, I want to reflect on what He's done for me. I want to see Him in His beauty. I want to see and reflect on all the things that He's done for me and the promises that He's given me. It's then that the work of the Spirit and a sense of righteousness and a joy in serving others almost pours out of me. And I think the church, like, you know, Paul is making here such a big emphasis that there's a responsibility to the household of faith. You know, that's one of the greatest things that we can do for one another is to exalt Christ and lift Jesus up to one another because the more we see him – the more the Spirit is at work in us to become more like the Son, um, more in righteousness. And so Galatians, when it says, hey, it's all by grace, you know, it's, it's, it's by faith that you're saved. It's by faith that you become righteous. It's by the Spirit that you start producing all the fruit of the Spirit. Like I can look at my life. This used to really confuse me. Like, so, so what is it? Do I have to try or not? That's basically what the question was. And what Paul is saying, man, the key to becoming better is to love him more. It's it's to grow in your worship of him. That changes you. And yet, that's not the basis for why you're embraced and accepted by God. That's the beauty of this. It makes him all the more beautiful, which makes you want to become like him. You don't deserve it. And yet, Because you don't deserve it, it makes you eager to then turn and pour your love out to people who don't deserve it, to pour your patience and your peace and your joy and gentleness to people who don't deserve it. And that's a world I'd love to live in, where people are relentless in their love and mercy toward one another. That sounds kind of nice, but it doesn't come from our own strength. 
It comes by falling in love with Jesus and letting the Spirit animate that love. Yeah. It does indeed. Um, That's a good word, and I think it's one we're going to end on, uh, mostly because my voice is, in fact, leaving the building, uh, (laughs) and it is. It's just getting worse and worse as time goes on. Um, and uh, and we also the episode is about a normal length. Uh, we didn't we didn't skip a lot of chapter six, just a little bit. Um, if you know, certainly we encourage everybody to go back and read everything uh, all the time. But occasionally, there's just it's there's more information than we can squeeze into uh, the time that is available. If uh, we do hope that though that the time you spent with us was profitable, uh, that you enjoyed yourself and you learned something from it. If you'd like to correspond with us, our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's outofwater at riovistachurch.com, where you can also find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. You could also find our entire catalog on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as several other smaller podcasting delivery systems. We hope to be everywhere that you happen to be looking for us. Um, This does conclude our study of Galatians. Sam and I will be back next week with something new, uh, which we will work on uh, during the week and have an opportunity to make hopefully a good selection um, as you join us next week. And we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. Water.